Ted, while I agree that in time our band will be most triumphant, the truth is, Wild Stallions will never be a super band until we have Eddie Van Halen on guitar. Yes, Bill, but I do not believe we will get Eddie Van Halen until we have a triumphant video. Ted, it's pointless to have a triumphant video before we even have decent instruments. Well, how can we have decent instruments when we don't really even know how to play? That is why we need Eddie Van Halen. And that is why we need a triumphant video. Excellent! So here we go. The kickoff to our 12 months each month dedicated to a Van Halen studio record, just like we promised in December. And it's 2021. So here we go, Sonny. We're kicking it off with probably one of the biggest of all the Van Halen records, the Diamond Certified Debut Van Halen record. This is the one that started it all. What's going on there, Hollywood? Uh, nothing. Just hanging out in good old Cali. We're still in COVID lockdown, so <laughs> we're still in stay-at-home orders. So, uh, but you know, families safe, happy. Uh, these album reviews are going to be very interesting because uh, we're not going to agree a lot, and uh, I'm going to say some things that are probably going to get me hung up on a couple of times. Sue, so... you stupid, ignorant son of a bitch, dumb bastard! Jesus Christ, I've met some dumb bastards in my time, but you outdo them all. Get over there! Uh, yeah. Well, the beautiful thing about these record reviews is that we're going to bring along a third party on each one of these albums because you're right, you and I will be coming through the phone lines trying to strangle each other going back and forth on some of this stuff, and it, it's just not cool, man. We've had enough controversy over the last X amount of months with COVIDs and uh, scandals and everything else. And, you know, I got nothing but love for you. So, uh, I bought in a third party that no doubt will agree with everything I say versus you. So <laughs> the referee. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, tonight's, uh, debut Guinea pig, I'm sorry, debut guest on this Van Halen, uh, tribute album episode is none other than Mr. Ryan Spencer cook. What's going on, Ryan? Hello everybody from Nashville. Love talking to Atlanta and California and worldwide. Good to see you guys. Happy New Year. I'm looking into his room and I feel better that I'm not the only idiot that buys all this shit that's behind me. Uh, <laughs> you know, I wish everybody could see this because it looks, your room looks quite impressive. I see some kiss stuff immediately popping out and I got a clean room. <laughs> <laughs> I see some gold records behind you. I see a kiss yeah. photo on the side there. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. yeah. It's good stuff. It's fun to have stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so Ryan, tell me this. What is the trip with uh, Ryan three name? So Ryan Spencer Cook. Why not just Ryan Cook? Well, because you know what? When I started out, um, first of all, let's just make it be known. I'm going to tell this right away. I am the least proficient person when it comes to social media. 
being Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. I do play along and do that stuff on Instagram and Facebook. So point being, when I finally was one of the last people to get on Facebook, just as it was probably going out of style, uh, I went to put my name in. And believe it or not, there are some other Ryan Cooks in the world, professional athletes, country artists, that kind of stuff. And that's just the, that's, you know, nothing fancy or no great story about it. My real full legal name is Ryan Spencer Cook. And while there were a lot of Ryan Cooks out there, there were no Ryan Spencer Cooks. So I took it. So to those people that are listening that have been living under a rock that don't know Ryan Cook's resume, I'll kind of cover a few points. Ryan most recently is playing in Ace Fraley's band and also in Gene Simmons' band. Right. And then before that, Ryan had a career and was in a band called Hair of the Dog, correct? That's correct. Yes, that's right. This was like the early 90s with that band, yes? That's correct, yeah. I moved, uh, relocated, even though I'm from Kansas, I was living in Nashville when this all went down. I was here for about a a year and a half, and I got moved to Los Angeles uh, in 93. And that's when I was specifically moved out there to meet the guys that were in the band Hair of the Dog. They weren't called Hair of the Dog yet. It was a little bit of a different lineup. And then I got there. So starting in 94, I would say that's when the band really started taking shape. And the band existed from 94 to 2001. And we did uh, a self-released record, which then in turn was instrumental in getting us signed to a record deal. And we did three records between 94 and, and 2001 and toured the world. So a lot of fun, a lot of fun. That band will always have a special place in my heart because it was just many firsts. First record deals, First tour, first tour bus, first time being on the radio, first everything, first time being in magazines. It, it really all went down with that band. So that band was sort of like a lot of bands around that time period that were hard rock. It was one of those bands that I know for me personally, I kind of missed it, but yeah. it's a band that has sort of taken on this almost cult classic status where you have this fan base that really knows who Hair of the Dog is and really loves Hair of the Dog. And then you got folks like myself that kind of fell in between the cracks on grunge and hard rock and missed a lot of bands and are going back and discovering these bands. Is that about right? That is bullseye accurate. We will never be patted on the back for our timing. You know, we were a hard rock band that grew up on Kiss, Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith, Van Halen, Ted Nugent, you know, all that kind of stuff. And as we were breaking, trying to continue to play that kind of music, that was not in vogue at the time. It was all about alternative music. And while we weren't big hair spandex, we were still a long haired rock and roll band Mm -hmm. playing the type of music that we were influenced by, like I mentioned earlier. So it was a grind, but we did it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I'm real proud of that. But you were you're definitely right. And a lot of people weren't aware just because we were not mainstream. But we were able to do three records and hang in there. And then uh, the band, as you mentioned, has maintained a following throughout the years, which, you know, has made me just really happy to still be able to talk about the band. And I love it. So it's been good. What label were you guys on? Spitfire. Spitfire. So yeah. they were they were out there promoing, but the music... Yeah, I guess the genre was kind of dying as part of the problem. Absolutely. Right? So they didn't really have anybody to, I guess, well, market it to. Yeah, and let me tell you, just to give you an idea of what Spitfire was going for, they were uh, a European-based company, Eagle Rock Entertainment, which is still around today, owned Spitfire. And while we were on the label, it was also Black Label Society, Ted Nugent, Dio, mm-hmm. Motorhead. Does Spitfire still exist today? In some form. The proper label, no. 
does not. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, everything went back to the parent company, which was Eagle Rock Entertainment. So you really want anything that you see with the Spitfire label logo or anything now these days is something that was issued back in the day, so to speak. But Eagle Rock still exists. And man, a lot of the documentaries and movies and films and everything, they got really heavy into that. So they're firing on all cylinders. Eagle Rock's a really cool company. Yeah, so Spitfire sounds like they were taking on some of the bands that maybe were losing their major contracts and yeah. kind of stepping down to Spitfire. Almost. Yeah, and you know, that put us on tour with Dio. Yeah, that's that awesome. put us on tour with yeah. Nugent. That put us on, you know, I was happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. we loved it. We had a good time. So, Ryan, I was checking out social media the other day, and I happened to notice a story that you shared that ties in really well with this episode and I would love for you to be able to tell it to everybody. And that was a chance meeting that you had while you were out in California with none other than Mr. Edward Van Halen. Would you share that with the folks? Oh, I'd love to. And you know what, man? It's such a great story because um, I think a lot of people will be able to relate to it. And I really enjoy telling it. And to tell you the truth, for several years, I didn't tell many people about it right after it happened. Uh, those that were real close to me at the time it happened, I did relay the story. And then all these years later, just at Ed's passing, when it happened October last year, I told the story again, and a lot of my friends were like, how did you never tell me this? So it really did go down, and it was a different time. It was around, I would say 2000-ish. That's the give or take a year that I'm going to let know when it happened. Uh, Hair of the Dog had just disbanded. We'd been broken up for a little bit amicably. And I was living in Studio City. And for those that don't know it, Ventura Boulevard runs right through Studio City, which is part of the greater Los Angeles area. Ventura Boulevard is one of the, if not the longest streets in all of Los Angeles that goes through there, right? And that being said, living in Studio City, I lived around a lot of movie stars, TV personalities, rock stars, that kind of thing. And so it wasn't unusual to run into everybody. And I mean everybody. It could have been David Lee Roth at Terasushi. It could have been Alex Van Halen at Terasushi. It could have been Wayne Knight, who was Newman on Seinfeld at the grocery store across the street. And these are people that I saw every week. Right. <laughs> you know, so it wasn't unusual to run into people, but you never ran into Eddie Van Halen. And I never thought about it until it happened, but that was the case. So one Sunday afternoon, I happened to be pumping gas in my pickup truck, which was not even a quarter mile from where I lived at the 76 station and it was the corner of Ventura Boulevard and Vineland. And I'm standing there pumping gas and at the Island, a white Mercedes pulls up the other way and it's Ed and Ed gets out of the car and I'm standing there and you know, you being a fan, you can imagine what goes through your brain, right? Do I say anything? Do I not say anything? Is that really him? Yep. It's him. You know, it took me a second to realize that yes, it really was him. And you know, just in case anybody knows, I was and still am an average Joe. And at the time, even though I was in the industry and had already toured the world and done everything, I still was an average Joe. And there was no reason for Ed to know me. Okay. I immediately said, Ed. And he kind of looked at me and turned and, and I was like, hey, I'm Ryan. Man, I love you, man. <laughs> and I really <laughs> said that. <laughs> you know, it was that Chris Farley SNL moment. <laughs> and it was stupid, but it was true. And uh, and he laughed and not even taking it back. He said, well, thanks, man. And he starts pumping gas and we started talking. And uh, a couple of days earlier, I had just been out with a, a friend of his 
which was a mutual acquaintance named Niels Lozauer. And for those people who don't know, Neil pretty much traveled with Van Halen for the larger part of the Dave years. And when he wasn't traveling with him, he was doing a lot of photo shoots. So that was kind of my in. And I said, Hey, I was just was lousy the day we were talking. And I, I was just kind of saying that. So I was one step above average Joe, just guy on the street. So once he knew that I was kind of friends with his inner circle, I thought it might make him, I don't know, just say hello or, you know, not be as taken aback by this guy. So we kept talking and, and he's like, Oh, you know, Lowe's. Oh, I've known him forever and blah, 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 and whatever. And then, you know, more small talk as we're pumping gas. And I finally got around to it and I said, so, so what's going on? You know, are you, are you working on any music? What's happening? He goes, I got tons of new music. I go, do you have a singer? And he goes, no. And I go, well, I know a guy. And he said, who? <laughs> I said, me. <laughs> it literally happened that quick. He looked at me and he goes, you got anything with you? And I didn't. The golden rule when you're looking for a gig is always have music on you. If you're going to throw it out there, have something on you. And I didn't. And I said, no. And this is where it gets unbelievable, but it remains true. I said, no, I don't. But I live right there. And I pointed over and you could see my building. I live that close. I said, but I live right there. You want to come over? <laughs> and he looked at me and he shrugged. He goes, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> And this is 2000, mind you. So, you know, there have been, by this time, some sort of serial killings around Los Angeles. And Absolutely. <laughs> and he's trying. Not only in L.A., but around the world, uh, everywhere. And, you know, and the thing that makes the, the story not only as unbelievable and awesome as it was, was the fact that I had, it was a Sunday afternoon, and I just got done running. And it was Southern California, and it was hot. Yeah. And the reason I'm telling you this is because... When I went running those days, and it was 9,800 degrees, I was in running shoes and shorts. That was it. By the time I got done running five miles, I looked like I had been through hell and back, like a homeless guy that went running. I mean, soaked, no shirt. That's what I had on. So imagine that guy asking Edward, well, I live right there. Come over. And he said, yes. So inside, I'm completely freaking out, and I get in my truck, and when I tell you it was less than a quarter mile, I mean, it was so close. The only reason I drove there was because I had to put gas in my truck. It would have been quicker to walk. Right. That's how close we were. So I pulled out of the parking lot and waited for him to do a U-turn behind me. And come. And this is when I expect him to just speed off, <laughs> you know, and drive away. And he didn't. It wouldn't have been a big surprise. <laughs> no, it would have been. Well, I tried. Uh, so anyway, we pull on the Fruitland Drive, which is where I lived right off, you know, which was parallel to Ventura and pulled up alongside the curb right in front of the entrance to my building. He parked right behind me and I got out. And as I got out and stood on the sidewalk waiting for him to get out of his car, I literally was thinking, please, someone drive by who knows me, <laughs> anybody just, just to corroborate the story. Yeah. And he got out and we talked for a minute and I was just thinking, please, someone drive by, please, someone drive by. So we go into the, the building, into my lobby get in the elevator, go out, go to my pad. And, uh, we walk in and we're in my apartment, you know, and he immediately just walks and sits down on my couch. And of course, above the couch was his low hour framed shot of him and Dave from 78. <laughs> He's like, wow, that was a long time ago. Wow. Is Lowe's gave that to you. And then as he sits down, he picks up my Les Paul and he's just sitting there noodling. It was unplugged, but he's just holding my guitar, sitting on my couch, smoking a cigarette. <laughs> 
man, we just talked and he told me about his son and, you know, he's, he was so proud of Wolfie and you have to realize Wolf was little then. He's like, Oh, he can play every instrument. He sounds just like Michael Jackson. He sings great. You know, we talked about some stuff. We talked about his cancer. We talked about, you know, he told me what was going on with tongue cancer. He part of his tongue removed and, and all that kind of thing. It was just like a, you know, he literally was just really open and sweet and nice. And we got around to listen to music. I had a couple songs in mind that I was going to play him. And I, you know, hit play on there on the CD player. And he's like, whoa, 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 turn it down. Too loud, too loud, man. It's too loud. <laughs> so he, had me, he had me turn it down. And, you know, and we listened to a couple songs. And he's like, you're really good. He goes, like, you're really good here. Let me give you my number at the studio. And I never had anything to write on. So I grabbed the People magazine. And he scribbled his number on the People magazine. And, man, we talked for, you know, 10, 15 more minutes and everything. And he got up and he gave me a hug when he left. And he just said, man, it was really nice to meet you. And I walked him back down the hallway, got on the elevator, walked him outside. And, and we stood and talked for a second. And, you know, when he got in his car and drove off and I was standing there on the sidewalk and just waved as he left, I mean, I really couldn't believe it. I still can't as I'm telling it to you. I mean, I wanted to cry. Yeah. You know, it was just that moment. And, you know, like I always joke that the people always talk about, you know, when someone says to call them or just when you meet somebody, like if it's a guy and a girl, it's like, well, do I call right away? Will that be seen? Will I seem too, <laughs> <laughs> seem too over the top or do I wait three days? And he told me to call him next week and it was a Sunday. So I waited till Wednesday and to his credit, he picked up and we talked and uh, he thanked me again for, hey man, that was great. And, and he just said, honestly, man, I really don't know what we're doing right now. Yeah. Which I completely acknowledge and accepted as it was nice to meet you, but we're not going to work together. Right. Like I've said before, I didn't audition for Van Halen. I wasn't almost in Van Halen, but I did have that moment with Ed to where, you know, I don't know if, if he was always like that. I, I can't compare it to any other meeting with him because I never had one before or after, you know, I don't know if I caught him on a good day or if he was always like that. I want to hope as a fan that he was always like that. So I think it's safe to say that you weren't the next Mitch Malloy then. Yeah. There you go. There you go. And you know, I don't know if it was pre, I don't know if it was pre or post him or whatever. I just didn't tell everybody about it. Right. And, um, I'm forever going to have that moment and know about it and cherish it. I'll never forget it. That's awesome. Well, before we get too far into tonight's episode, so we'll be going track by track through Van Halen's debut album. We'll be talking a little bit about some of the facts that go along with that album. And obviously, we'll be giving each of our two cents on each one of the songs and what the album meant to us. Ryan, what's your introduction to Van Halen, the band? Well, like I mentioned uh, before we started recording here, you know, I was really young and I was in grade school when this record came out in 1978. And most kids my age were not listening to Van Halen, Zeppelin and Aerosmith and that kind of stuff. I can't tell you that I got it on the day it came out in 78. It was closer to mid to late 79 when I actually got the record, the, the cassette for Christmas. And I'd heard it previously by a cousin that had it that was older than me and just freaked out. But my introduction was a really young kid. And getting that cassette for Christmas when I was in fourth or fifth grade in the box was a Van Halen cassette and a Sony one speaker boom box. That boom box and cassette traveled. It was with me on my walk and bike ride to and from school. If I was shooting hoops, it was playing. If I was walking around the yard, it was playing. 
that thing, I went through a lot of double D batteries, man. <laughs> wow. I don't know if they were double D. I think they were just called D. Your mind is oh. somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> there were no such thing as double D batteries. Trust me. Yes, there is. It no, that sounds D. like a porno flick name. Oh, that is not real. If you're playing Van Halen, they're double D batteries. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I let that go because I thought there were double D batteries. No. God love them. <laughs> oh, that's a good catch, man. That's good. I love it. And I like Vicky, and she likes me back. And she showed me her boobies, and I like them too. So where was Sonny's mind if he already caught it? Oh, come on, dude. He's a double D. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Well, so yeah. were you playing guitar at this time or or not? No. A guitar was in the house, mm-hmm. but no. Hadn't begun yet. Uh, I didn't start lessons until I was 10 years old. Okay. So, you know, I mean, that that record, and, you know, I'll shut up here in a second because, like, I'll, I know that you guys, have, we're going to talk about this in a certain way, but just so you know, when I heard that record being as young as I was and everything, and that's not to say that kids my age were only listening to children's music. Like, you know what I mean? I don't want to put that on it. Even though that happened, there were children. I was never into that stuff, but where I grew up, we were all listening to that is we were all listening to top 40 radio. Yeah. We were listening to AM FM. Mm-hmm. I could hear Aerosmith sweet emotion back to back with Leif Garrett's do run. Seriously. Yes. Uh, the, the Osmonds with Mac Davis. Yes. You, you know, people that don't, you know, really steady my age here and kind of stuff, but this is really the way it was and the way it is. Mm-hmm. And the three of us are kind of in the same wheelhouse as far as our age goes, especially you and I, Sonny, you know, Stephen only has a couple of years on us, but that's the way it was back then to where programming was really loose. If it was a good song, it was on the, on the same playlist. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Van Halen was, I'd never heard anything like it. And I was already a huge rock fan, know a lot about it for as young as I was. There was something emotionally in a guttural way that affected me about the way that record sounded. I can't tell you why it did, but man, it literally, I think affected me more than any record in the seventies did. Radio is interesting because unless you were in a huge market, like I was in San Francisco, you didn't really have any just solid rock stations. And even here, there was only a couple. There wasn't a ton. There was a ton in LA, but even a ton, you're talking about five or six, not talking about a hundred. Most of the radio stations were top 40 R and B, right? Mm-hmm. They were trying to go for a different kind of feel. Some of these songs ended up on top 40 and that's why you heard them. But really yep. it was the MTV without any videos, right? That's basically yep. what it is. This is great shit. But before we get too deep in the woods with this stuff, we absolutely have to do this. It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. So tonight's Crank It Up New Music Spotlight is, well, it's something that's new to us, but much older than brand new. A lot of times here on the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight, we feature stuff that's new to us. Sometimes it's brand new, sometimes it's not. It's stuff that we're just now discovering. So for this one, I'm going to turn it over to our special guest, Ryan Cook, and he's going to tell you about tonight's Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. Okay, everybody. Ryan Spencer Cook here, and tonight's Crank It Up Music Spotlight is going to be by my former band, Hair of the Dog, which was on Spitfire Records. And the song we're going to talk about a little bit is called Cadillac Jack. Cadillac Jack was really special because it wasn't the first song that we wrote as a band, but it is the first song that was released to the world as Hair of the Dog. It was our first single. 
It was uh, really special because it was our first time being on radio. It was what I dreamt of about being in a band and being on tour and going to a new city that we'd never been in every night of the week and playing a song that everybody knew in advance, that everybody sang along to, that everybody looked forward to. And uh, it's always just going to have a special place in my heart because it was, you know, in many ways what I'd hoped for my whole entire life up to that point uh, about playing music. I just love the song because it's simple, it's aggressive, it's got a hook, it's got a great story. And just like a lot of my favorite hard rock songs or just songs in general, it's barely over three minutes and it's just it's just in your face, good time, party rock songs. So All right, well let's check it out. Cadillac Jack by Hair of the Dog. Okay, so I, I got a bone to pick here, and it yeah. might be coincidence, but I'll just go with it. So Kiss's first song on their first album is Strutter's The First Thing the World Hears. Yeah. When they release it on a greatest hits album was a collection of albums, they say it's Strutter 78. 
Hair of the Dog puts together this collection of songs in 2020. The first song that's ever heard in the world by Hair of the Dog now says 2020 remix. Come on, dude. That is too much coincidence. You know what? It makes perfect sense. And I never, God is my witness, or whoever you pray to, <laughs> I never put that together. Ever. But it's true. It is true. <laughs> Can I tell you one thing? Because we know how much I love Kiss. Can I tell you one thing that it's not? <laughs> okay. those are That's uncanny. And I will tell you, I can't tell you the subconsciously that we did not do that. <laughs> but I will tell you this. When Kiss did it for Double Platinum, it was completely redone with a hi-hat disco beat. Yeah. <laughs> I promise you that we did not disco this song at all. <laughs> no, you did not. <laughs> no, you didn't. Oh, that's fantastic. Wow. It's, uh, some of that stuff is in our brains, right? Uh, Kiss nerd, right? That's just no. no, some of this stuff is in Sonny's brain, not <laughs> our brains. That dude's messed up. It's double D brain. Double D brain. <laughs> the positive tip uh, on the uh, batteries look like little nipples, so it makes yeah, perfect yeah. sense. See, now I'm the problem. Really? <laughs> it, it's funny because it's true. <laughs> oh, man. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K dot com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. All right, so we're going to go with Van Halen's first album. You know, a few facts about the album. Released in February 10th, 1978, produced by 10 Templemen. Everybody knows that. It was recorded at Sunset Sound Recorders in Hollywood. Everybody knows that. My friend here has listed 35 minutes of awesomeness. Uh, uh, Settle down. Well, we'll see. Peaked at number 19 on the billboard, sold 18 million albums. You know, there's stories about it only cost 40 grand to record. So obviously the record company made a killing on this album. And then, you know, stupid Rolling Stone, the way they do after they hear this album, "Ah, Van Halen, the last two or three years, they'll be gone. Don't worry about it. They were obviously morons. They were wrong. There was a bunch of singles released on this thing, and I'm sure we'll talk about that as we kind of go on. But, uh, you know, people think it's an iconic album, and that's where we kind of wanted to start. Let's talk album art first, right? I, You know, to me, I look at these four pictures, and I know it was from a, a photo shoot at the Whiskey Go-Go. They're four cool pictures. I just don't know. I guess you guys got to help me with this. 78, was album art really pictures of bands? Like, some was animation, some was other stuff. Like, this is a little off center right i would agree with that you know being a, a fan like we are of rock records and being so young again i got i always have to keep leaning into that how young i was when it came out i loved seeing pictures of the of, of a band i loved it now the more creative they were with a band shot the happier i was like for example just four guys standing like this and that's the <laughs> cover it's not very exciting uh the lighting was cool the wave effect, the color effect on each guy was cool. I really liked it because you could actually see the band, but it was a little mysterious too because you really couldn't quite see them that clear, could you? No. Nah. I didn't think there was anything particularly special about the album cover myself. You know, I thought they looked cool to Ryan's point, and yeah, there was a little bit of mystery there because it wasn't a clear picture, but I always preferred the much 
cooler like album art, whether that's Yes or or uh, Iron Maiden or whatever. Seventy eight, you know, like Sonny said, that's a little bit early on, so I don't I don't recall what album covers were happening in seventy eight. Right. Yeah, I don't think you, they could have got away with just the logo. The logo's got to mean something, right? Yeah. Like you can't just Nike swish from yeah. day one. Like nobody knows what the hell that means, right? But right. now it's iconic. Yeah. So I think you had to do something. I, I just think it's interesting because let's be honest. I'm just being honest here. Yeah. Besides Dave and yeah. even Dave, eh, these are not the most handsome men on the planet. Right. Like, right. right? These are not Leaf Garrett's. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little, it's a real risky. And, you know, also just since we're picking this apart and we have no way of knowing exactly what they were thinking yeah. when they did it X amount of years ago, you mentioned yes. And I can picture those album covers. I mean, perfectly uh very intricate very ornate tons and tons of detail as was their music okay and then sunny you mentioned iron maiden yeah we can talk all day just about killer's peace of mind and yeah. the self-titled all day long eddie was the focal point and that became everything that they built the artwork and imagery around to this day yeah okay yeah. that fit them van halen was three instruments and vocals it was bare knuckles. I don't know if the advanced artwork of a Yes cover would have fit the vibe of the music. And there wasn't anything cartoonish like Van, like Iron Maiden or Kiss attached to this band yet. That wouldn't have worked yet. I think it works. Yeah. In hindsight, and like I said, someone could come in for the marketing and art department that worked at Warner and tell me that I'm completely full of it and that's totally wrong, but I'm going to go with that. Well, I read an article fairly recently celebrating this album. And one of the things that I felt like was kind of interesting, and this is a little separate from the artwork, but might show basically where things were at in 1978. You know, rock in the U.S. in 78 was literally dead. Bands that were huge like Kiss and Aerosmith were on their way out. They had already peaked and were on their way out. Disco and new wave music was hot. Punk music was hot. Those three things, disco, new wave, and punk, were very big in Los Angeles. Disco more so on the East Coast in New York. But those were the things that were happening. And then you inject something like Van Halen 1 into this. Wow. Agreed. Yeah. It's definitely lightning in a bottle. There's no doubt about it. And there's some risk here, but I get it because there was times, even in the 80s, where if I was out there just trying to discover new music and try to listen to it, I think I did pick it up and go, okay, the album cover, depending on, you know, does this look Dungeons and Dragons, you know, that kind of thing, or does it look more fun or, yeah, yeah I guess I did assume what the music would sound like from this. Absolutely. And I come from the same train of thought. Yeah. I was the same way. Absolutely. Man, I was a marketing guy's dream. (laughs) (laughs) And now that I think about it, like there was, I remember there was album art, like uh, Tesla's mechanical resonance, right? That album art has the color pops, but it doesn't really show you that it's going to be dirty rock and roll music on the inside, right? It feels more progressive probably, right? Yeah. Or I remember getting a pretty maids future world. Oh my God. I love that album art so much. But then to hear that, yeah, it was, you know, it was kind of a deep purple, heavier, deep purple. And I love the music, but I wouldn't have got that from the album art. I just picked it up because it was cool. That's the reason I got it. No, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the songs. We'll start with Running With The Devil. 
Ryan, share with us kind of your thoughts on the song and what you like about it, maybe what you don't like I, about it, and how does it make you feel? There's nothing I dislike about it. I was sucked in from the second it started with that horn, and it's a layer of car horns blaring, and it fades in. And then as it fades out, you can hear them slowing down the tape machine to get that, right? It just sucked me in. Like, I, I only have words to describe how hard that sucked me in. And the second it cuts off and that Michael Anthony quarter note fuzz bass kicks in, today i just you know what i listened to this record when i went running today because i knew we were going to talk about it tonight and i still get fired up just as much at 51 years old as i did at 10 years old hearing that song no one sounded like dave eddie's guitar michael's bass and then the background vocals they sound like the beach boys their harmonies were so good their harmonies were so good and dave's delivery was like nothing you ever heard. He was a front man who didn't have a guitar, but he didn't sound anything like Steven Tyler. And I love Steven Tyler. He didn't sound anything like Robert Plant. I love Robert Plant. He certainly didn't sound like Paul Stanley or or Ronnie Van Zant. I mean, this was something brand new. And man, his ad libs, just a little but uh, you know, I uh, that stuff on the beginning and the back end of each line. Oh yes. Man, that was just stuff you didn't write down. That just stuff that he was that happened in the moment. And that song is a winner winner for me all the yeah. way. Yeah, all that's way. good. Steven, how about you? The first minute I hear the car horn thing, I've never heard anything like it. And growing up, I was a wannabe rock star. Like I wanted to play guitar and didn't understand that I didn't have the talent to do it, <laughs> you know? So, uh, ever. Had, yeah, ever, <laughs> literally never Just making that clear, never, ever. <laughs> but, but anyway, you made that painfully clear Pooney. Anyway. So I had a friend that was able to play all these records note for note. He was amazing. He's a great guitar player. He took the time out at one point to try and show me the solo to running with the devil, because I think it's probably one of the more easier 
if easy is a thing, solos to play. And he was able to show me some of it. I was able to pick up and play some of it. And that was the like one of the first musical accomplishments that I ever did. It didn't go much farther than that, but, you know, it was just one of those songs I was able to sort of achieve. I just love it because it had such a great pocket groove. It wasn't fast. It wasn't slow. It was in the pocket. And to your point, here was a band with these heavy guitars, but these amazing background vocals because there was no Def Leppard or anybody like that, Bon Jovi, that was doing it at the time. They were years in the future. And here's this band doing this, combining the hard rock elements and this heavy guitar with these awesome kick-ass like vocals from Beach Boys, Beatles, all this yep. kind of lush uh, layered backgrounds. And it was fantastic. I loved it. Well, here's also one thing just to mention about those vocals. If anybody does go revisit this record after listening to us chat about this, is uh, you mentioned Bon Jovi. And let's just go with the most obvious one, Living on a Prayer. Stacked. It's stacked. Everybody that worked on that record will admit it and say, yes, there are. We did a lot of layers of vocals. You listen to Def Leppard, all the stuff they did with Mutt. Stack, 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 stack. A lot of parts. There are parts that you don't even hear to your naked ear, but they're a blend. It's amazing. But then you listen to what they did on the Van Halen records and how well they stacked them. And I always compared it to the Beach Boys. This is from California, but plus it was just so pure and clean. Their their BGVs were so great. You could go hear Van Halen live in concert, and it sounded exactly like the record, their vocals, exactly. Those guys singing together. To Bon Jovi's credit, Leopard's credit, Leopard does a great job of it. Bon Jovi did a great job of it. But when you get records that are so huge on radio, you sometimes cannot replicate those courses live. They still sound good, but it doesn't sound like the record. Van Halen always sound like the record. Yeah, I agree. They were a uh, vocal band. Yeah. So this song, it was the second single running Devil Was. It got to number 88, or number 84 on the Billboard Hot 100. It's interesting. This album is a blueprint of what's about to happen in the next 10 to 12 years. There's no doubt. I would tell you, though, by the time... 86, 87, 88 rolls around. I don't know if you get away with running with the devil being the opener because it's too mid-tempo, right? In 78, it worked on this record. And to me, I'm glad they didn't open with Eruption. I want them to open this way. But I don't know if later on, like today, you release an album today that's supposed to be hard rock. I don't know if you can start with this type of song because people won't give the second song a chance, right? Right, right. Uh, But, you know, they're making the blueprint, so who cares? Ryan, you were talking about it. Whether it's ad-libbing, whether it's yelping, well, I call it a yelp because he's got that yelp, right? Or yeah. the screaming or yeah, it's perfectly with the back and vocals. Like Ted knew like how to mix all that into where it's pleasing to the ear and yeah. not annoying. Yeah. Right. And I've said it before on our podcast before. It's like at one point I just say, singer, shut up. Like let, let the, it's the guitar player's time. But for some reason, Dave somehow pulls it off. I don't know the swagger. I can hear him talk like that all day. Okay, so let's talk about the video a second, because I watched the video the other day. Yeah. You notice that Eddie and Michael are doing the kiss thing yeah. as they're facing each other? Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and then the whole thrusting and swaying that Dave keeps doing, that's, it's it was a little distracting to watch, to be honest. <laughs> I get it. I don't think you'll ever get, uh, and they may not have meant to, you'll never get anybody in Van Halen to admit that they were acting like kiss. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that'll happen. Maybe that was subconscious, but I do know the moment you're talking about. Man, and I see what you're talking about with Dave. It was like he was a pelvis. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. You know, but man, 
I just take it all with a grain of salt because if you look at them now and you look at videos like that in the time capsule, it looks like a seventies video. Yeah. Yeah. And there wasn't a huge budget and that has nothing to do with the way he moves the budget. I mean, he was going to move that way if it cost 10 yeah. cents or $10 million. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Videos weren't even really a thing in 78. I mean, they were, but they weren't, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm yeah. making fun of it, but to be honest with you, it holds better than a Britney Fox video. It's like, why the hell are you dressed that way? Like, oh my God, where did the 80s go that yeah. you got? That? <laughs> That's yeah. embarrassing. I know. <laughs> All right, let's talk eruption. So Ryan, what's your thoughts on eruption? Again, just completely mind-blowing. I hadn't even started playing guitar yet. So I didn't know anything about technique. I didn't know what technique was. I wasn't even certain that certain parts of that were a guitar as I was hearing it. I'm not even certain that I knew exactly what I was hearing at that young age besides that it was cool and besides that it was awesome and besides that it didn't sound anything like the Clapton records that I've been listening to by any stretch. It was weird. One thing that I had a ear for when I was a kid was distortion. And I knew it always made me feel a certain way as opposed to something else. Like Tom Scholl's always had a really cool distortion sound, like on Don't Look Back and that kind of stuff, which I've been listening to. And Eddie's was just more aggressive and more distorted and gainy. And again, it's just part of that whole sonic realm that pulled me in with those guys. You know, there were no vocals and the drums and the bass are gone in a flash and it's just Edward. But again, I can't say I can sing it, but I can literally think of every melodic note in that solo right now. I remember it like I did the first day I heard it. Like I said, I didn't know anything about technique, but I knew it was something special and that it was like nothing I else I had in my record collection. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Steven? Yeah, I was like any other kid. I mean, this is, when I heard this, I was like, oh, I got to learn how to do that. That's the shit. I got to learn how to do that. And the balls of this kid from California on his debut album, putting a guitar solo, the second thing that you hear on the record. You know, Eddie didn't even want this on the record. Uh, I read where he was just noodling around in the studio, and Ted, I think it was Ted Templeman that uh, convinced him to put this on the record. And look at it today. It's iconic. It literally is iconic. And touted as one of the, you know, most famous solos of all time. Uh, And rightly so. It changed the way people looked at guitars. It inspired probably more guitar players than we ever would know to become guitar players. You know, so it did for guitar players probably what the Beatles on Ed Sullivan did for musicians in general, you know? I think it... uh frustrated guitar players as much as it inspired guitar players. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, some a lot th- of the guys that were peers of his at that time were probably pulling their hair out. Yeah. And there was something you were saying, Ryan, about distortion. For some reason, distortion feels rebel, yeah. right? It feels rock and roll. Like if it's not Absolutely. plugged in and distorted, it doesn't feel rebel enough to be rock and roll. I could not agree more. I don't think we can explain it, the feeling, but people that know it, like you and I just did can talk about it. I can remember the first time holding an electric guitar that my cousin had and it was, a, I was just strumming it and how to play. I was probably in third or fourth grade. And then he stepped on the distortion channel and it did it. Something happened and I didn't know how to play a chord, but I knew that sound. I get it. You can't explain it. It's just a feeling you get. And it's something that you chase forever because there is really bad sounding distortion and there's bad sounding gain. And Eddie was neither of those things. There was something that was a gut punch about, the gain stage that he had in this plane. It was amazing. 
Yeah. This is for my friend. Real quick, I'm going to just take a split second. Ryan might know what I'm talking about here, but this is more or less for my friend out there who I know listens to these uh, episodes every so often. But stepping on that Ibanez tube screamer for the first time is amazing. And hitting a big power cord feels unbelievably good and that one's for you donnie boy (laughs) yeah and i'll tell you what donnie boy probably did like we all did the first time we all get a distortion pedal what do we do we turn every knob on 10 so it's as distorted and fuzzy as you can get it sounds awful but man it fucking feels good (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh eruption for me i mean obviously it's a classic musical piece I have heard more bands, more guitar players cover Eruption live than I've heard Van Halen songs covered live. There's no, I've seen guitar players try to play it behind their head, blah, blah, blah. It's all fancy, blah. They didn't come up with it. So I guess you practice it enough after somebody else comes up with it. It's doable. I don't know. Here's the problem I have with Eruption. And it's not actually Eruption's fault. It's trying to recapture it with Spanish Fly and every other one that happened in later records. It's like, just can you let it be? We captured yeah. Magic in a Bottle once. Yeah. Can you yeah. leave it alone? Right. I got to wonder because as much as I do love Spanish Fly and I love the record that it's on yeah. as well, the one cool thing about Ed was he was a composer before anything and wrote so much music. And there's so much great stuff that that guy did that we'll probably never even hear. You know what I mean? Uh, that being said with Spanish Fly, well, I'm a fan of it. You have to wonder, from a record label's point of view, they probably were on him so hard for Eruption Part 2. You got to wonder, he did write it and he did record it. But you just wonder, what was going on behind the scenes? Did they go, yeah, do that again, just like record labels do with everything. They run yeah. everything into the ground. So I can see your point, but I do love Spanish Fly. But I do see your point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, let's move to the third track. You really got me. Ryan, had you heard this before? No. Oh, okay. (laughs) No. And let me tell you something. I remember, again, uh, I didn't know a lot about the kinks at that age. You're going to get some hate mail here. (laughs) Okay. Let it fly, baby. I really do like the kinks. And the songwriting ability of those two guys, amazing. Uh, the infighting, legendary. But that being said, I didn't learn about all that till after Van Halen. I know about the Kinks because of Van Halen. That I'm gonna let my. I'm just gonna test that to my age, my young age at the time. Here's where the people aren't gonna like it. I will take the Van Halen version over the original version eight days a week. And it's not typical for me to hear a cover of an original and like it more than the original. But this is the case where I'm gonna take Van Halen all the way, man, all the way. I love it. Let your freak flag fly, baby. Yeah. (laughs) Steven, your thoughts? (laughs) I think that I have no problem saying that I love this version much better than the original version. And I'm going to ditto exactly what Ryan said, because I was young at the time. The only thing that I can remember from that age, from a kinks perspective, is that MTV video Go dancing, let's go dancing, or something like yeah. that. And come, I come dancing, something like come that. Dancing. Yeah, it's come dancing. Yeah, whatever yeah. it was, I hated it. 
So, so <laughs> there you go. I, I hated it because I mean, I'm into hard rock and I'm seeing this video all the time and I'd much rather see something else. But the bottom line is I think probably you really got me honestly might be the first Van Halen song I ever heard maybe on the radio. It was the first Van Halen song. A lot of people heard. Yeah. It went to radio on clear red vinyl. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, I would love to have that. I would love to have the a copy Looney of that. Tunes. They were giving copies away of that red vinyl Looney Tunes thing. If you uh, spent the fifteen grand on the Eddie Van Halen '78 reissue guitar that he put out uh, last year, that was one of the things that came in the guitar case. Was a piece of uh, red vinyl. Amazing. I agree. This is one of the best cover songs ever done. Just flat out by a rock band, one of the best cover songs ever done. I'm the same way I got into music late. There's no way I know who the Kings are unless it's for this. I actually love Come Dancing. Come Dancing. Yeah. Yeah. I actually like that song. It's interesting with this song. If there was no eruption, this would be very awkward start because it just starts with that riff, right? Eruption kind of, it's a perfect transition into it. Mm -hmm. It is perfect. And I was reading some stuff. Dave Davies hated, hated this version because I guess they went and played somewhere and some fan came up and said, oh, you did that Van Halen song really good. And Dave, <laughs> like, hit the roof because he's like, God damn it, I wrote that song. You know when he quit being mad? Uh, checks. Yeah. <laughs> One day he had a nice little walk to the mailbox and got an apology check and everything was better. I bet. I do agree. And I think with Ted listening to kind of what he said in interviews, him being involved in Montrose and Montrose never really taking off and never really having a hit single. Well, he thought Montrose was a great band. And I thought that first album was great too. Me too. He didn't want the same thing to happen to Van Halen. So he's like, we got to go get a song that people know that'll at least give you a shot to hear you. I'm sure he saw, he was thinking once they hear you play Eddie, don't worry. They're going to know you forever. But the thing was though, you know what? I think, and this is, you know how much I love Edward and that band. I don't think it was just the guitar that made that. I mean, the the guitar is amazing, but it was the sum of all parts. It was sonically the way it was recorded. It was the background vocals. It was the performance. It was their arrangement, the way they did it. And man, it's so funny because that's another one of those songs to where 
I never knew what Dave was saying until I was 25 years old. You know, he goes, you got me so I can't sleep at night. Right. Yeah. I thought it was, you got me so I kissed you that night. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say all the right lyrics anyway. I think he was oh, making them up and he went along. Yeah. Go back to running with the devil until I was 15. I thought he was saying, God, no love in Korea. I go, why does he have any love in Korea? <laughs> There's no love you call real. <laughs> I got no love. No love you'd call real. Ain't got nobody waiting at home. I never knew what Dave was saying. But anyway, about you really got me. Man, it's just everything was perfect. As much as I love running with the devil, I know why you really, I can see why you really got me was the first single and the first single that really got them established. And it was just awesome. And look at one of the really odd parallels, brothers covering a song by brothers. Yeah. Just saying. Yep. And for those who don't know, when you do Diver Down later on, guess what they covered on Diver Down? Where have all the good times gone? By the kinks. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's move to the fourth track. Ain't talking about love. That picking through that ache, it just was so musical and so percussive and so awesome. There was it's another example. We're four songs deep into this record, and we haven't gotten to one yet to where you weren't grabbed by the first note of the song. And the bass line on that thing, aggressive. He's going for it. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I love it. I, it's it's going to be really boring for you guys because I'm going to love everything about this record. Oh. Don't worry, we're going to get to some songs that aren't so boring because I got some things to say. Okay. Um, Stephen, how about you? 
Yeah, I mean, this is an iconic song with an iconic riff, and this is the first time on album that you get to the Dave talking part, right? Where yep. Dave breaks it down and goes into his little thing, and that from that point on, that became a Dave thing, right? That Absolutely. made a, That made appearances on many albums over the course of their career, and yeah, it was a Dave thing, man. It was a lot, and that became a major thing. Mm-hmm. a live moment, man, mm-hmm. when he did that. I cut you off. I'm sorry. No, it definitely was. For me, as a kid, when I went and saw him live, they turned that into, you know, Dave throws the F-bomb in there live and just, you know, and it, as a kid, you're like, oh, rebel, rebel, baby, yeah. rebel, rebel. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's it's all about it, man. Uh, yeah, I love it. It's iconic. Nothing more to say. Yeah. 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 It's the riff that gets me. Right. There's no doubt about that. And the riff is yeah. classic. I'm yeah. surprised it didn't chart. It was a single. It was their last single, but it didn't chart. You know, maybe it was just timing. Okay, Ryan, I haven't seen the rock and roll residency do yeah. this. So, yeah. But I've heard many, many bands cover this. Yeah. I just haven't heard it that great. They just, yeah. it's hard to replicate what Dave's doing. And it's I hard agree. to get the story feel right. Have you guys I, done this song? We won't do that one. Oh, really? No, we won't do it because. Everybody does it. We have a couple songs that we will not do. We will not do Rock and Roll by Led Zeppelin. We will not do Ain't Talking About Love by Van Halen. We'll do Romeo Delight way before we'll do Ain't Talking About Love. Yeah. But I see where you're coming from. I am such a Dave fanatic and have spent way too much time listening to every bootleg and every record and seeing them live and seeing him solo live and doing everything to get into it. I don't like seeing Van Halen not being done well. (laughs) It's like me hearing Mustang Sally again for the 8 billionth time. I don't need to hear Mustang Sally again by anybody. (laughs) I'll tell you the Wilson Pickett does it so well. I just can't hear anybody else do it. Yeah. Uh, I see where you're coming from. And this is coming. I'm not really a Dave truther. I've been known to say Dave's the sixth best singer in Van Halen ever. Like I, I, but there's a swagger and just the charisma Mm-hmm. That man, we were we had we reviewed a uh, tribute album, and it's just the guys who did Dave's voice. Most of them just they couldn't pull off the cool. They couldn't do it. I won't even listen to most of them. <laughs> and they were all good singers, but yeah. no, did not sound good on this stuff. Yeah, I get it. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. All right, let's go to the next track. I'm the one, right? Man, the bounce, that riff, there's a bounce to it that just sucks you in immediately. And Dave isn't so much singing this one as he is dictating to you what's going down. It's a delivery. And it's hardcore and it's aggressive. But man, when it breaks down to Baba ba ba Hell yes. In the middle, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I just, I, it's again, and it's so funny because this is one of those things where Ed is kind of, he noodles in between Dave delivering to where there's the song is just so interesting from front to back. It really never lets up the energy level, except when it breaks down that. It keeps the tempo. It never loses tempo. And then it comes back in. I mean, it just, I love it. I think that breakdown in the middle is just so cool because it's so unexpected when you hear the song for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Especially after you've heard other songs, it's like, okay, this came out of left field. Yeah. Feels like ZZ Top faster, but. That bounce. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. I don't know what it is. This record has so many songs that you hear all the time. And for me, when you get to I'm the one, that's one of the first songs that like, I'm never tired of hearing. I love mm-hmm. the aggressive riff at the beginning. It just, mm-hmm. it gets my blood pressure up and yeah. uh, Ryan help me out here, but it seems like on that opening riff that maybe there's a little bit of phase shifter or something going on on his guitar, a little bit of effect. You have a great ear. The phase 90 pedal is present through this entire record. Mm-hmm. And you hear it at more of a degree on some songs than others. This one you really hear it, but you're hearing right. There is a, a Dunlop pedal that's still made to this day that came out in the 70s. It's a little bit, probably about the size of our iPhones. Mm-hmm. It's an orange pedal with one knob and one button. It's got one black knob on it, and you dial the intensity off and on, and it's got an on-off switch on it. And that pedal is present through this entire record. It's awesome, man. I Again, today, I, I really did. No, no kidding. I, I listened to this record. Not like I need it, needed to hear it to remember it because it's it's ingrained yeah. but just as we were going to talk about it and i wanted to hear it again real recent so we could talk about it and that's one of the things i thought today i'm like man i love that phase 90 pedal yeah and so did ed obviously i think you hear it more present on this record than any of the other van halen records throughout their entire career yeah the riff and the background vocals for me do Ooh. it on this song i absolutely love it Woo! 
the lyrics are loose and fun, right? So yeah. that helped, right? Yeah. And the yeah. song adds a little color. It kind of feels like this is the song where you feel the chemistry of the whole band kind of coming Absolutely. together because it feels fun, right? I would tell you, okay, so my first Van Halen record was 5150, right? Yep. I understand why when people heard this for the first time, when they got to this song and they hear that, if I would have heard that Shooby Doo on 78, lifelong fan, Van Halen is probably my favorite band of all time ever because they've put together a collection of songs so far that are unbelievable. And then you do this fun thing, right? I would have been a fan forever. Yeah. Going back and even looking at it, it's like, oh, that was pretty cool. And I wasn't into doo-wop yet, yeah. right? I hadn't heard any of that stuff yet. I, I didn't no. hear any of that boogie rock, none of that. But then when you go back and you hear stuff like ZZ Top or George Thorogood or, or or whoever, right? It's all kind of in this together, which is really cool. Yeah. And you mentioned the lyrics were just, you know, fun. Yeah. And that kind of thing. No one's ever going to confuse Dave Lee Roth with Bob Dylan. Yeah. When you're, <laughs> talking about, when you're talking about lyrics or, or the imagery that Robert Plant did with all that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it didn't matter. Dave would probably say that was on purpose. You know, and that's still part of the reason why he's still just one of my favorites. Paul Stanley's that way. Sammy yeah. Hagar's that way. There's a bunch of them, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I can't say Gary Sharon is not that way, right? He's, they're just, they're just ba- trying to say the same thing. Ballot or, the bu- Ballot or the Bullet was way different than Bottoms Up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> At that point, yeah. yeah. Okay. I was thinking more Teacher's Pet Extreme. But okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. right. You two quit jumping albums. <laughs> Stay on target. All right. Let's do the third single Jamie's Crying. When you heard Tone Loke rip it, were you like, no. what the hell? It literally, I was living in Los Angeles at the time. I can remember being in my truck, hearing it for the first time. Actually, that's not true. It was before I got to Los Angeles. I remember being in my truck and hearing it still played in Los Angeles. But point being, those drums, you know, they have that kind of rubbery, that feel mm-hmm. kind of thing to it. 
how well did it lend itself to what Tone Loke did with it later? I didn't mind it because it was an ode to one of my favorite bands. Yeah. Now, I, I wasn't buying Tone Loke records at the time, but you could not get away from that song. <laughs> you know? And the thing that I really loved about the tune more than anything was it was a story song, man. That song could have fit so well on the soundtrack to Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It's the story mm-hmm. of teenage lust. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just, oh, man. Yeah. Ed doing the descending, wow, 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 yeah, that whole yeah. thing. Forget awesome. it. Yeah. Steven, your thoughts? I think Jamie's crying is power, pop, rock, perfection. It's really a wonderful blend of melody and hard rock and just power pop. Yeah. It sounds so good. And I know, I think this is a song that's not from their old catalog. This is something that they wrote while they were in the studio and added it to the record because Templeman wanted something extra on the record that was hit material, quote unquote. I think that this is a masterful tune. Yeah. I guess the moral of this story is she should have done them that's before right. she left. Right? Is that the moral of the story? Okay, all right. I will tell you, I am a sucker, and still to this day, when a guitarist starts singing the melody with the guitar, the vocal melody, I am a sucker for that. Neil does that a lot. Neil Sean does that a lot, right? Just There's something about it that sounds so cool that people can do that. Still, to this day, like when somebody plays the anthem, the national anthem on guitar, I'm just like, wow, that is so cool. I'd much rather hear it that way than, you know, Whitney kind of going off on it kind of thing. Yeah. Now, again, I went back and watched these videos. I don't know if I need to see Dave, like, grabbing man breast on Michael Anthony like that. <laughs> like, they should cut that out a little bit. That part was a little disturbing. It's I interesting because Eddie at least changes guitars because they're all wearing the same clothes during all these videos. So. Well, see, that's the thing. You do remember, if you go look at it, and Kiss used to do this, too, before MTV was around, uh, they would go shoot a few songs at a time. Yeah. So you're right. Edward did change guitars on that. So good on him. Yeah. Yeah. Change your clothes for Christ's sakes on each song. Okay. I know. Now what's interesting is I would love for somebody to put pen to paper. How much money did Eddie say no to between beat it and wild thing, right? Because tone Loke, they didn't pay him any money. I don't know if he asked for any money. I didn't know that about the tone Loke tune. I did know that about beat it. But and that's Van that about, money, right? Because they would have so split that four ways. The way it usually works, and I'm sure you know this, you guys know this, but if people are listening don't know, whenever you hear someone sample a piece of music in their piece of music, that's where publishing comes in. Everybody's always, you always hear the people wanting to hang on to their publishing because that's where the money's at. Mm-hmm. That usually has to get blessed by the publishing company, the copyright owner, to be used. To know that they, the chapel, which is was the publishing company, let Tone Loke use that without a licensing fee, Man, I didn't know that. Well, let's put it this way. It didn't go to the band members. You know what, though? Listen, this Tone Loke song was at the very sort of the forefront of a lot of the sampling. So I don't think that they had all the legalities of sampling worked out at the time. Now, what's happened since then? Did they get paid? I don't know. But at the time this Tone Loke song came out, Sampling was still a really kind of a new thing because mm-hmm. I remember like Vanilla Ice was wrapped up in, in controversy and Tone yeah. Loke and all these people were wrapped up. Now it's just become an everyday thing. Yeah, I'd be interested to see how that plan panned out because publishing is a serious business. 
Okay, the next track, Atomic Punk, Ryan. It took me, I remember hearing that intro, and I was like, is that a train, or is that a subway, or what is that, or is that supposed to be something, is that was the car horn at the beginning of the record, and this whole thing, that song is just pure energy, man. I mean, pure energy. I love it. And the cool thing is, again, the Phase 90 is a major play at the beginning of that song, along with the delay pedal set to the nth degree. And it's the palm of his hand. Mm-hmm. He's rubbing the palm of his hand up and down all six strings right near the bridge, creating that sound with the Phase 90 and the delay pedal. And I didn't know that until I you know, was much older in age. And again, it was just another one of the crazy question marks that hung above my head about a Van Halen record when I was little. It's like, well, what sound is that? And man, again, that's another track that's just pure energy. It's adrenaline. Every piston's firing. And this is a bad song live. You just couldn't touch them. Yeah. Couldn't touch them. Steven. People talk about eruption and how innovative the technique was. This is another example of the guitar technique on this record in 1978 by Edward Van Halen. Nobody created a sound like the beginning of Atomic Punk. Just like Ryan said, he didn't even know what it was. I didn't know what it was until my childhood friend who I talked about earlier was such a great guitar player, had this PV amp with this phase pedal and started rubbing his hand and creating the exact same sound. And I was like, holy shit, that's it. And he was like, yep, that's it. And it was freaking awesome. Amazing. So this is where you guys might hang up on me. (laughs) It feels Black Sabbath to me. This whole nobody rules these streets, but me like leave that shit to Ozzy. Like I, I, I have a set of Desert Island albums. This is the song that kept me from this album being a Desert Island album. Literally nothing on this song interests me. I think it's cool with the little noises he's making, blah blah blah. Right. But after hearing the first set of songs, it's like really like, and I've heard this live. There's a tribute band called Atomic Punk, right? They yeah. were on the crew one year, sure. and I heard them even do this. I'm like, yeah, that just, there's nothing good about this song. Like, I don't know why people like it. I just, uh, yeah, it, nothing interests me about it. But, okay. I can see where you're pulling the Sabbath comparisons there because it's a darker song. Yeah. The chord percussions are darker in that whole thing. I can see where you could pull the Sabbath thing from that. Yeah. Most definitely. Most definitely. And I don't you mind know, Sabbath. Just leave it to Sabbath. This I get my, it. I get it. That's yeah. fair. And although we see where you're coming from, Sonny, me and Ryan are going to continue this podcast without you. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. We appreciate it. <laughs> I don't know what happened. He got disconnected. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what happened. You dirty-eating piece of slime. You scum-sucking pig. You son of a motherless goat. <laughs> oh, I ain't done yet. No, um, no all right. I'm kidding. You know what? That's what makes stuff like this fun because, you know, we all have a different take on different songs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt. All right. Next song is Feel Your Love Tonight. Okay. Ryan. I'm just going to start off on this by telling you the reason, one of the reasons I love this song so much is because I love the vocal delivery, his voice, his singing. And I'm saying he's singing. And one of the things that you hear about in all the Van Halen folklore and history and bios and everything is everybody talks about that Dave was not a great singer. He was a front man and his delivery was hoops and hollers and screams and, and this and that I'm going to take this song off this record and go, that is a singer. That is a guy that can hold a note. That's the guy that can do vibrato. That's the guy that can sing a melody. I love his delivery in this.
Well, how's it go? We're getting funny in the back of my... Sorry, honey, but I took it just a little too far. Yeah. There's one part when he ends the line, the man goes, Woo-hoo! that's their little Richard ode, man. That little Richard did that all the time. Remember he would do that? And you just hear stuff like that in there where they'd punctuate the end of a line with a, a vocal horn blast like that that little Richard used to do. I really love that. I think this is Dave being a singer. This shows you that Dave Lee Roth could be a singer just like Dance the Night Away. Dave sang his ass off. You cannot like Van Halen and you cannot like David Lee Roth, but you can't say on those songs that he's not a singer. And he is. And this is one of the few songs where you hear an overdubbed rhythm guitar under a solo on the first Van Halen record. Yeah. Didn't happen very often. Stephen, how about you? To kind of uh, second what Ryan's saying, yeah, the Little Richard thing. I mean, we know Dave loved guys like Little Richard and um, James Brown and a lot of those old R&B singers Dave was a huge fan of. This song, to me, for whatever reason, I absolutely love Feel Your Love Tonight, but I almost feel like it's a brother or sister song to I'm the One. I don't know why. I just, those two songs for me stand out on the record and I feel the same about both of them. I really, really am a huge fan of the riff. I'm a huge fan of the vocals and the background vocals on both those songs. And it's one of those songs that because of all the hits that are on this record or all the songs that get played regularly on radio and stuff like that, Feel Your Love tonight is one of those songs that I don't get tired of currently. I like it like I like I'm the one. And so it's killer tune, man. I dig it. Yeah. I'm with you. David sings his ass off on this song. There's no doubt. And it's got the backyard party vibe. I love the lyrical content because it's a very, you know, it's not a long song, right? So it kind of goes from... I'm sorry about grabbing your ass and tits to why I did it and to why I really want to do it again. I mean, the the song starts with, we're getting funny in the back of my car. It's like, fuck yes. (laughs) High school, man. I love it. The one thing that I noticed on this song, and then I realized it on other songs that I had heard the same thing, is at times a band, whether it's the singer, whether it's the guitar player, even the bass player or the drummer, they get a little long in the tooth on a little earworm that they're putting in, right? Like that acapella is just long enough to be different and cool, but not long enough to be a pain in the ass, right? Yep. The Eddie solos, he could solo for five minutes in every song if he wanted to, yep. but some of these solos are 22 seconds and done, right? Yeah. So there's something, I don't know if that's Ted. I don't know if that's the band, but somebody told them, and I, I guess part of it was Ted, because I think Ted was telling him, you got to have four minute songs, can't have long songs. Right, but that that touch with the Little Richard stuff and the you know you, uh, some of my favorite singers do the Good God right because they love James oh, Brown yeah. and yeah. all those kind of things. I love those things, but if it doesn't get long in the tooth, you can't overdo it. Well, exactly, I agree with you a million percent. And something that that you mentioned, Sonny, much earlier in this conversation was the hoops and the screeches and the hollers and the, you know one thing that uh, I'm gonna guess this was Ted. You know, not to take any credit from Dave either, because the guy knew what he was doing. That's something that could have really been easily overused and ran to the ground to make something annoying. And they were very tasteful in where they let that stuff happen and where they chose to use it. I think that was just, I can sit here and call it brilliant. And they'll, they'll go, we just did what we thought felt right. They didn't realize that they were being sparing or using too much or whatever. It was, it's awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, no doubt. All right, let's move to the third to last track, Little Dreamer. Ryan. Uh, I love the whole space created by that opening 
riff. Da -da 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 -da. You hear all that verb on it? Things sounded so large to me, like it was just I could hear them doing that song or see them. My mind's eye could see them doing that in a big empty arena, empty space somewhere to sound check, and just hearing it was very ethereal to me, just the space that was created with that opening riff. It sounded like it was in a really large place, like someone was actually in a dream. The song being called Little Dreamer. I don't even know if they meant that or not, but my tiny fourth grade brain thought that. <laughs> Where was your tiny fourth grade brain at ethereal? What the hell is I thought he said a cereal. I'm like, what he's eating cereal now? What's yeah. ethereal? When I was in fourth grade, I was said it's dreamlike. It sounds like a dream. Yeah. Okay. Steven, how about you? I don't even know what ethereal is. That's a big word. I gotta get my wife in here to tell me that. Ethereal. I like all kinds of ethereals. Captain Crunch and Yeah, Fruity Pebbles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Little Dreamer for me, this is the closest that Van Halen comes to a ballad on this record, right? It's not yep. really a ballad, but that's as close as they come. I'll give you that. I like it. It feels a little bit almost sort of Elvisy to me. A Little okay. Dreamer. I can see Elvis kind of strutting across the stage with his handkerchief and, you know, yeah, a little bit of that karate move stuff. So yeah. It's, yeah. it's okay. I mean, I don't, I don't dislike it, but yeah, it's okay. Okay. I like that uh, you can really hear more so than any of the song on the solo on that one. There's a bit of a slapback thing happening. And that's what really stood out to me on that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's such a naked solo because, you know, you said it's the closest thing to a ballad. It really lays back in the pocket as far as his tempo and everything. And uh, I think that's so, like I said, just the effect on that of him throwing down. It seemed really bare and raw to me. And I really like that. I didn't hear Elvis. I heard Hendrix. I'm like, okay. Hendrix should be doing this song, mm -hmm. right? Because it wow. sounds like a Hendrix melody. I would have loved to have heard that. Right? So yeah, that's the, honestly, the only thing that got me interested because it felt like Hendrix a little bit. Otherwise, the song's just kind of meh to me because it's a little boring. I, I don't know if I want to hear David do ballads. I think that's what it is. I like fun David. Yeah. Right? So when, it, when David's not fun, then I, it kind of loses me a little bit. I got All right. Let's go to fun David on Ice Cream Man. What do you think about Ice Cream Man, Ryan? And had you have you ever heard the original? I had not. And I you still not. haven't. Yeah, I have. 
I okay. have read the original. When I was a kid, I loved it as I did the whole record. I did not understand the sexual innuendo that was going on in it. And I heard my sister and her friends giggle. <laughs> my sister uh, is five years older than me. So you can imagine they were eighth, ninth grade when this was coming down full on teenage mode. And to hear them giggle about push-ups too and all that kind of stuff on the song play, I'm like, what's so funny? What's so funny? <laughs> I got ice cream from the ice cream man today. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> <laughs> but no, man, this is if you have to summarize to me David Lee Roth and a handful of songs, this one has to be in that handful because this is him. That delivery. And do you guys remember the acoustic guitar called the Dave Sickle? Is that the the shiny acoustic he used to have? Well, before the shiny rhinestone one, there was an acoustic guitar, and they made the whole guitar look like a popsicle. But it was called the Dave Sickle. I don't think I remember seeing that. When we get done, Google it tonight and just go to images, it'll come up. Okay. But I never heard the original. Google Dave's popsicle. See what you tell (laughs) me. Go ahead. Go ahead. And then explain to Jen what the hell you're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Steven, what do you think about the song? Uh, yeah, this is uh, this is definitely a song that is identified with David Lee Roth for sure. And I listened to the original for the first time. I think yesterday I went. And, oh wow! I went and checked out the video. There was a YouTube or whatever. It wasn't a video. It was just a YouTube clip of the song. So that was the first time I heard it. I can't get good lemonade off my uh, off my mind. You know, I I love the way he says it. And for me, this solo in this song is one of Edward's best. I absolutely love the guitar solo in this song. Me too. It's so, uh, I can't even think of the word right now, but. Incendiary? Yeah, it's (laughs) ethereal. It's ethereal? Ethereal. Yeah. Google that too when we hang up. Yeah. I don't even know how to spell that. (laughs) <laughs> i was saying earlier that uh, i'm a sucker for the guitar player playing the vocal harmony yeah i'm a sucker for a moving bass line oh yeah i'm a sucker for the singer saying something and the guitar answering right like uh, this song I, when i tell van halen fans i love ice cream man people look at me like i'm two people like i, I don't understand because it is a great song and i can imagine eddie going you want to do what yeah. Okay, I'll do it, but I get to do XYZ to yeah. this song. If you want to do that little acoustic guitar playing thing that you want to do and tell the world that you're some hotshot or whatever, I'm doing XYZ at the end, you know. Yeah, it's so cool because you know that that intro, that acoustic intro is in open tuning. It's not in your standard yeah. tuning. It's it's the okay. guitar's tuned to an open E. And yeah, man, it's just cool. Yeah. Good on them for having just the creative mind to go, you know what? This song would be great with a new arrangement as a rock version. It's amazing. What I got out of Sonny's feedback on that is that he's a sucker. That's what I <laughs> yeah, mostly got out of it. <laughs> all the shit I buy. Yeah. Now, John Brim, who originally wrote this song, said yeah. that the royalties got him to buy a nightclub. So he bought a nightclub in Chicago wow. with the royalties he bought off this song. I believe it. What, what I wanted to ask you, Ryan, is two covers on your first record, like – is that Templeman? Is that the record company? Is that we don't want to fail no matter what? Like, what is that? I can only guess. Yeah. You know what the thing is, though? Maybe. I feel like that's definitely a really good case for You Really Got Me. I think that's a really good argument for Really Got Me. 
I got to think, honestly, just the three of us sitting here talking as much as we've read about Van Halen over the years and what we think we understand the inner workings of that band and the way that they thought. I got to tell you, I feel like that was probably way more David Lee Roth's idea than it was Warner Brothers' idea because if they're going to pick a cover song to do, they were not going to go pick Ice Cream Man. They were yeah. going to go pick, if it was a label, they were going to pick a hit, a hit song that people knew. And just because we didn't know you really got me by the kinks at that point, boy, millions and millions of other people did because that kinks version of that song kickstarted a lot of people the way Van Halen's version kickstarted us. I don't think that the label went and said, you guys need to record a cover and it's going to be Ice Cream Man. I bet you that was all David Lee Roth. Yeah. I think the other thing that the Kings song does is it gets you interest overseas. There's that right? too. Yeah. It's just not an American band that you're covering. Yeah. Stephen, yeah. any thoughts about that? Like, it seems like a David Lee Roth idea. There's no doubt about it, but I'm surprised nobody's fighting it going, really? You want to put two covers? They ain't, this ain't the second cover we're putting on here. Here's what I know from what I've read and what I listened to in Noel Monk's book is that You Really Got Me was definitely a Ted Templeman thing. Mm-hmm. And Eddie did not want the first song that people heard to be a cover song. Uh, so I know that he was totally against it. I agree with you, Ryan, in that Ice Cream Man seems like it would be something that David Lee Roth would pick. It does not seem like that is something that Ted came up with or the label, but I don't know what Ted, you know, producers, they have these inner connections and who knows if he had some sort of connection to that song or John Brime or what, whatever, but um, uh, it definitely seems like a Dave thing on that song. Dedicate one to the ladies. Summertime, sip, babe, need something to keep you cool. I now, summertime, sip, babe, need something to keep you cool. Better look out now, though. Dave's got something for you. Tell you what it is. I'm your ice cream man. Stop me when I'm passing by. Oh, my, my, I'm your ice cream man. Stop me when I'm passing by. See, now all my flavors are guaranteed to satisfy. Hold on a second, baby. I gotta put my banana Dixie cups on flavors and push-ups, too. I'm your ice cream man, baby. Stop me when I'm passing by. See, now all my flavors are guaranteed to satisfy. Hold on one more. Well, I'm usually passing by just about 11 o'clock. I never stop, I usually passing by just around 11 o'clock. And if you let me cool you one time, you be my regular stop. All right, boys. Now put my banana, pixie cups, old flavors and push up to underestimate. Man, stop me when I'm passing by. See, now all my flavors are guaranteed to satisfy. And then the last song on the album, On Fire, which was the fourth single. Ryan, your thoughts on On Fire? 
I'm going to kind of follow. Well, I never thought of it until you said it earlier. But again, that dan 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 da, Sabbath could have gone there. <laughs> it, again, this is the number two of the darker songs on the record. But man, again, I can't tell you that that bothers me because I love the song. I love the percussive harmonic thing he does on the breaks. That's again, when I'm a kid, what is that noise? What's he doing? You know, it, it was just a pure energy, adrenaline, tough guy song to me when I was little. That was fun to listen to. And I rode my bike. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> And how about you? This song's so aggressive, and this was what they used to open with back in those days. I would have given Sonny's left nut to hear them <laughs> open with this song. I mean, that would have been freaking awesome. And it didn't cost me anything to see it except for Sonny's left nut. So that's all. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. That's right. <laughs> I'm always interested, besides it being interested in my own left nut and keeping exactly where it is, I'm always interested in songs that Dave could have done from the Sammy era and songs that Sammy could have done from the Dave era. This song feels like if it was a little sped up, it could be Van Hagar. This song is global Van Hagar style where Sammy can't do some of these other songs. Like he can't just pull off the Dave stuff. You know what I mean? I get it. I feel a little bit the same because of that whole black Sabbath vibe. It's not my favorite song on this album, but the high notes keeps me interested. The screaming of where they are, on whatever scale that they're singing in, I just yeah. do not understand. And the cool thing is, when they keep repeating that, that's Mike and Dave together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you read all the books and hear the interviews and stuff. They said that Mike was just so loud. They used to call him Cannon Mouth. <laughs> you know, they called him that because his voice was just so, he was such a huge part of their sound. And that's a really that's a really good point that you made, Sonny. I mean, and just like I said, and I remember listening to this today when I got done. That's Dave and Mike together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. I saw a Sammy Cabo Wobble birthday show in Cabo San Lucas um, one year. And Michael was there, obviously, helping with the band, blah, blah, blah. But it's a small club, right? It only holds like 800 people. If yeah. you didn't need to give Michael a microphone. No, like sure. when he's singing back up, you can't even hear the guitar when he's singing back. It's like, I'm dude, sure. back off the mic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. That's yeah, so cool. All right. So we're going to go with. What's your favorite song? 
And yes, you got to boil it down to one on this album. I will. And what's your least favorite song on the album? And you got to boil it down to one. So Ryan, we'll start with you. Uh, Running with the devil is my favorite still. Yeah. It was the first thing I heard by them. It's like I told you today, earlier tonight, it, it still blows me away just as much. Everything from the guitar, the intro to the guitar, to the to Dave's delivery, it is still my absolute favorite Van Halen song off this record. I absolutely, And if you had to ask me, what's your favorite Van Halen song? That changes weekly. Mm-hmm. But I think it always kind of veers back to running with the devil. It's my favorite. This is hard for me to say because I don't dislike any of them, but I would probably hear Little Dreamer less than anything else on the record. Yeah, yeah. Steven, how about you? Well, this is really much easier than I thought it was going to be. If you would have asked me when the record first came out, it might have changed a little bit. But over the years, when you hear these songs so many times on radio and different things, you know, there's a little bit of fatigue involved. But I'll be honest with you, I never get tired of hearing I'm the one. I yep. that's by far I'm the one is my favorite tune on this record and my least favorite song is Little Dreamer. It just is. So that's it for me. Yeah. My least favorite song is easy is Atomic Pump. I just don't get yeah. it. Maybe I'm not smart enough to get it. Who knows? <laughs> my my favorite song. And I'll hear it at the grocery store. Like you know how the music will be playing or whatever, right? And you walk into a grocery store and this one song, like I'll hear it, I'm like Holy cow, that's Van Halen. That's really cool. Or you'll hear it at a casino walking by or down walking down the strip in Nashville and you'll hear it coming out of a club. Or there is something about Ain't Talking About Love. Oh, yeah. And no matter when I hear it, yeah. I turn it up and I stop. Like, so, you know, I'm shopping for avocados and all of a sudden I just kind of stop shopping for avocados because I'm hearing the Ain't Talking. And I've heard it 10,000 times. Yeah. But for some reason, just the riff gets me immediately. It's, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's my favorite. Yeah, so good. Funny. Don't beat yourself up, Sonny. You're definitely not smart enough to understand the yeah, yeah, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> you wanted the best, but you got the best. The hottest band in the world. Kiss. It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. All right. I was looking for some, and you know, yeah, Van Halen and Kiss got a little tie-in, but we got 12 of these episodes that we got to tie together, right? So I kind of went with a unique thing. In On Fire, they keep yelling fire, fire, fire as basically as high as they can. (laughs) And Kiss doesn't do it as high, but they keep doing it too. So here's Under the Gun.
You like that song, right, Ryan? I love that song. Boy, let me tell you something. So, Animalize. Yeah. Okay. So, I remember seeing the Animalize tour in Kansas City. Queensryche was opening. They were supporting the warning. Yeah. And this was the era right when Kiss started. Not so much on Look It Up, but when Animalize hit, Kiss started playing a lot faster. Yeah. In their live shows. I mean, Detroit Rock City, I don't know how they get everything was so fast. But under the gun, that was a staple in the animalized set. Do you remember? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I love I, I my first tour was Asylum, but okay. when I hear Under the Gun on anything recorded, right? It's just when you hear it live, there's an energy to that song that's just unbelievable. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of people don't like Fast Kiss. I actually enjoy Fast Kiss. Yeah. And uh, after you hear some of the older songs live, it's hard to listen to them as slow as they are. Like, I was listening to Hot of the Hell today, and I'm yeah. like, damn, some of these songs are hella slow. Yeah. You know what? The, the first couple albums for Kiss, I will agree with you. Listening to the versions on a live are a lot more fun yeah. than listening to the studio versions. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so there you go. Van Halen first album. There is no doubt. Monumental, epic. Basically, everybody was trying to repeat what they did for the next 10 to 12 years. And they did. Nobody, nobody succeeded. They, no. the people came close, probably in their own minds. They at least used the template that they could. But really, you can almost say Van Halen didn't repeat it. Right. I agree. Yeah. So, uh, final thoughts on the album, Ryan. So this record through all the years since it came out in 1978, I told you I became familiar in probably 1979, which was a long time ago. I've heard a lot of bands debut albums since then. This is still my favorite debut album of all time. And I'll go next. Cause I'm going to have Steven kind of close out the episode here. I, not bad for recording it in two to three months, right? When their rivals were taking six, eight, 10 months to record. Yeah. And you know, when somebody tells me that David Lee Roth sucks, I jokingly agree with them, right? But if they're really being serious, then it's like, dude, you got to listen to some of these songs because you, you haven't heard enough David Lee Roth. There's no doubt about that. And the album just has a ton of energy and finesse that it holds up. It's one of the best debuts ever. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Steven? Yeah. So I'll keep it really short to two words. Game changer. This album came out in 78, still sounds relevant today in 2021. It's amazing. I'll leave it at that. Thank you so much for coming on this show, Ryan, and doing this. This has been a blast. This is going to be a long episode, but this is going to be a fun episode. And what a way to kick off these album reviews that we're going to do throughout the course of this year. Ryan, what can we tell people as far as hair of the dog or anything? Cause you guys recently put out this package, right? So is there yeah. somewhere we want to send people? We'll put it in the yeah. show notes. Absolutely. Thank you. So as I mentioned before, as a band, we recorded three studio albums and then uh, the band broke up amicably. And then uh, one of the things that are, we had a really good attorney at the time, all of our masters returned to us. We own everything. That being said, when the Masters did return to us, everything was taken down off of iTunes and, and the like, and then we had it redone and put back up there. So there's a new compilation called Big Bones, which chronicles all three records. It's on Amazon. It's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. It's on YouTube. It's everywhere. You can go get it there streaming. Recently, 
it just came out also as a two LP 180 gram set called Big Bones. You can get that at lindsleyrecords.com, L-I-N-D-S-L-E-Y records, lindsleyrecords.com. They did a great job. It's a beautiful gatefold with tons of photos that chronicles the history of the band. It sounds fantastic. And yes, we did a remix. Michael Wagner did the second uh, record. So Michael Wagner remixed the song Cadillac Jack. It starts off the record. It sounds great. But yeah, Lindsley Records put that out. Great new label. They're re-releasing the Scream record, John Crabby's first band. They just they're putting out a they just put out a new Eric Carr compilation that just came out. So go to lindsleyrecords.com to check that out. But thank you guys so much for having me. This is great. It's fun talking to people that love Van Halen because I love Van Halen. So well, I'm sure it must be refreshing uh, that we're not talking uh, Kiss with you. <laughs> <laughs> we talked enough Kiss though, so you know that goes. Yeah. Now we are going to do that on another episode of this show. Come on. Yeah, of yeah, course. we'll definitely do that. There's no okay. doubt. You're about welcome it. back anytime. Thank uh, you. Obviously, and we'll put all those uh, links to all the stuff for Hair of the Dog and everything in the show Thank notes, you. so people Thank that you. are driving along don't have to wreck their cars. Yeah. So before we get out of here, share one great Ace story with us, or Gene story. It doesn't matter. No, uh, no, Ace. Ace. I guess the Gene yeah. story. I want to hear Ace. Okay. Yeah. Some of the fun stuff about Ace was, just so you know real quick to put things in perspective, when we're on tour with Gene, we see Gene all the time, all day, every day. Mm -hmm. We are always together. Breakfast together, lunch together, right? He's Everything. Hotels, flights, everything. We are always together. And we always made a point at a gig to make sure Gene had his own dressing room and we had our own dressing room. We're always about space. We want to make sure he has space. We couldn't get to a venue within 30 seconds where he was in our door going, what are you guys doing? Come down here to my dressing room. Okay. <laughs> Which was great. And we love that. Fast forward to Ace Fraley. We never see Ace. We never see Ace. I know Ace has arrived at the venue when the intro music kicks in. Let's say we're going at nine o'clock. 9 p.m. is downbeat. Radio comes on security. Okay. He's pulling up. He's here. Cue the intro music. Somewhere a stage door will open. We'll be on the side of the guitars. In walks Ace. Hey guys, how you doing? Hi, hey. Okay, it's, the, it's the jacket I just got. What do you think of this jacket? You like this jacket? That's a pretty good impression. I like yeah. it. Hey, uh, yeah. One night I got this new guitar and we're playing. We're on stage. Place is packed. Rock show going on. He walks over. He's like, hey, what kind of guitar is that? <laughs> what? <laughs> During the show. <laughs> where'd you, hey, where'd you get that? Why'd you get that? He is the most lovable, fun guy. We're just never with him. Now, he will show up to sound check when we do, we're going to do something different or something new that evening. He'll, he'll come do that and we'll see him for a little bit. But it's so different than Gene. It's so different. Just Ace is at one hotel, we are at another. We're busing that day. Ace flies that day. With Gene, we were always together. If we were in a bus, we were on a bus together. Every hotel, Gene made sure we were at the same hotel. Gene would show up pretty much when we did, unless he had press to do at the venue. There would be nights we'd be together at the venue six hours before the show, just hanging out. He loves to share YouTube videos off his phone. Hey, did you see this? <laughs> did I show you? you know. <laughs> I should retweet this. Yeah. Oh, it's fine. He he doesn't. He loves it. He doesn't care. Does Ace have a handler that gets yes. him to, to yeah. gets him to these yeah. shows? Yeah, Jimmy. Yeah. Jimmy's a retired NYPD guy who's. Just great. The nicest well, Jimmy's guys. been with him for a while. I, think. I just, yeah, I just talked to Jimmy right after Christmas uh-huh. and he's doing well. And he talks to Ace on a pretty regular basis. 
Uh, but yeah, Jimmy is Ace's handler. He's the guy that flies with Ace and does everything. He's always at the same hotel as Ace. Yeah. Okay. And that's his sidekick. That's Ace's personnel on the road personnel. And then the rest of us travel together. Okay. Our driver, our crew, that kind of thing. And they're all great guys. Yeah. Now, are there any dates on the books? Yes. So right after Christmas, I got a list of dates that begin in April 21 and extend into December 21. Now. (laughs) Will they happen? That's the question. Yeah. Yeah. I am prepared just like everybody else is to, if they call and tell me, Hey, okay, those dates have now been moved to a later date. I'm expected it. If they happen, we're ready. Now, so let's say we're two weeks out or a month out and those dates look like they're going to happen. Will you guys get together and jam at least since it's been so long? Uh, I doubt it. Really? Yeah. Philip and Jeremy and I live in Nashville. Right. Matt Starr. Our drummer is in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Ace is in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I can pretty much guarantee that we probably will not get together with Ace beforehand. But the thing is, you look at Phil and Jeremy and Matt and myself, we are so used to doing your homework and having it together when you show up at a show. Yeah. Now, that being said, every band's going to tell you they're much tighter and more together on the last show of the tour rather than the first show of the tour. That happens with every band. But as far as Ace goes, you know, that was the same. And that's, and that's not just an ace thing. We got together with Gene once before we went on tour. It was just have your shit together when you see me. That's really the way with both guys. That's the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems though, Gene's seems one of those people that wouldn't go off script too much. Opposite. We oh. never played the same set list every night with Gene. Gene was open to trying anything, which wow. is why we got to do so many deep cuts with Gene. Got love for sale, charisma, almost human. I, she's so European and all that kind of stuff. We change the set every single night and Ace Harley changes it ever. Okay. Okay. So it's the other yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So, you know, it's exciting both ways, you know, and it's fun when we do see Ace show up for sound check because we know we're going to do something new that night. Yeah. So we love that. Well, thanks for joining Ryan. I, it's, I'm glad you're safe. Glad your family's safe. Likewise. Uh, can't wait to see you guys again. That's for sure. There's a, uh, well, I'll be on the Monsters of Rock Island. So will Steven. There's an outside oh. chance I'm on the Kiss Cruise. So we'll awesome. see. I'm sure we'll see each other this year. I know we will. I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, again, thanks so much for having me on the show. I know it's been a weird year and everything. And I'm just happy to see guys like you and still having fun. And, you know, it'll get better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, hopefully, for sure. Once again, thanks, Ryan. Hopefully we'll see you uh, on a Monsters of Rock Cruise or at the local club, you know. That'd be great. I'll let you guys buy me a beer. Sweet. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Sonny. uh, Anything else to add before we get out of here? Thank you for listening. And uh, if you can send me uh, a check for five bucks so I can buy Ryan a beer. Thank you. Please. There you go. Cheers. Later. Cheers. Bye, buddy. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. i
Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.